Barack Obama returns to the White House while the media drool all over themselves, and Joe Biden returns to being an afterthought as his polls collapse. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Like people checking on your internet activity? Didn't think so. You should check out expressvpn.com right now. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, you may have noticed that the economy is just, it's weird right now. It's all over the place. On the one hand, the stocks seem to remain kind of high. On the other hand, we have insane mortgage rates that are beginning to creep up. We have interest rates that are beginning to rise. We have a lot of economists suggesting we're about to tank into a recession. Well, it might be time to consolidate your stock market gains and get into some precious metals right now. The global upheaval caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the crippling sanctions on Russian trade, they're having massive ripple effects across the world, including right here in the United States. Not just the gas pump, food prices are soaring. And of course, we have those interest rates about to rise. Right now, you need to shelter your nest egg in something of worth gold and silver from Birch Gold. That is correct. Birch Gold will help you convert an IRA or 401k into a tax sheltered account in gold and silver. Get started right now. Text Ben to 989898. With thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, Birch Gold can help you protect your savings. Text Ben to 989898. Get a free information kit on gold. There is no obligation to get this information. Text Ben to 989898. Protect your savings with gold today. Again, there's very few assets in the world that have never been worth zero. Gold and silver, those are those kinds of assets. And when you're looking at places to put your hard-earned money, to protect them from the vicissitudes of the market, to protect them from the possibility of their value being inflated away. Gold and silver is a great place to do it. The people I trust with that, Birch Gold. Text Ben to 989898 today. Get that free information kit on gold. No obligation to get the info. Text Ben to 989898 to get started. Okay, so yesterday was a big day because Barack Obama made his long-awaited return to the White House. And it was basically the second coming, according to the media. I mean, it was just an incredibly religious event. He arrived and he brought with him the light. He rode a unicorn down from heaven into the White House. And they used that unicorn poop to fuel all of America. It was, it was an incredible, incredible spectacle. And Joe Biden went back to being a complete waste of time afterthought. That's exactly what happened. According to the Washington Post, when Joe Biden campaigned for president in 2020, Barack Obama was rarely at his side. In Biden's time in the White House, he has not headlined an event with the former president. Overall, Biden and Obama have seen little of each other recently, despite an ostensibly close relationship and having residences two miles apart. But... On Tuesday afternoon, Obama stepped into the White House for the first time since vacating the premises in 2017, making way for the newly elected Donald Trump. Now, the supposed reason why Barack Obama was going back to the White House was that Joe Biden could announce moves to strengthen Obamacare. But the real reason is because they're trying to see if some of the magic of Barack Obama can rub off on Joe Biden. Now, this has never worked. Okay, Barack Obama has never been able to get anyone else other than Barack Obama elected. He was a unicorn. He actually was a unicorn. He was a unicorn of a candidate. He was a a black candidate who appealed to a lot of white voters. He was the first black president of the United States. He was very personally appealing, even if he was very radical in his politics. And that was just something that, that is not duplicable and also is not transferable. So while Barack Obama was president, his party just got shellacked in Congress, in the Senate, in state legislatures, in gubernatorial houses across the country. Barack Obama just got everybody else's asses kicked. He did fine, but everybody else just got destroyed. So the idea that he's going to show up at the White House and suddenly the Obama magic is just going to rain down upon sad old Joe Biden, who can barely function at this point, it was, it was a really dumb idea. And it became even stupider in the room because here's the thing. Barack Obama always was very good at this. And Joe Biden was always very, very bad at this. As Barack Obama pretty much openly acknowledged, never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up. 
So the, the very basic notion, like whoever brainstormed this and thought, let's bring in this incredibly charismatic, popular former president to stand next to a guy who everyone hates at this point. If you look at Joe Biden's polling data, they're, they're just terrible. I mean, you've got an inflation at 40-year highs. You have an economy that may be tipping into a recession. And you look at the polling data, and Joe Biden in the Quinnipiac poll is like 36%. Right now, there's a Marist College poll out, finding 39% job approval rating. NBC News has him at 40%. Nobody likes this guy. So you bring in, by contrast, a person who's pretty personally popular, a former president who doesn't actually have to answer for any of the stuff that is happening right now because he's not the president, and you put him next to this person who cannot string together three sentences. And this is Democrats' idea of how they're going to rescue the Biden presidency is by trotting out Barack Obama, who, again, even when he was president, couldn't transfer his popularity to other candidates. This is about the stupidest idea that anyone has had in public relations for a very, very long time. So Barack Obama arrives, and Joe Biden immediately tries to revert back to being Barack Obama's vice president, because that was the last time anybody liked Joe Biden. And Joe Biden won election in 2020 because he wasn't Donald Trump, but nobody actually liked Joe Biden. The last time anybody supposedly liked Joe Biden is when he was just the guy who was filling the office that John Adams once called equivalent to a warm bucket of spit. And so Joe Biden gets up there and he says that he is, in fact, Barack Obama's vice president. Yeah, we know. We know that you really want the number two job, Joe. We know you're really bad at the number one job. We know that you wish to sort of recede into the background like Homer Simpson into a bush. We understand exactly what is happening here. And that is precisely what Joe Biden articulated. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Barack Obama's vice president. <laughs> and I'm Joe Biden's husband. <laughs> he's, he's Barack Obama's vice president. Here's the thing. He's the president of the United States now. And this is why everyone is displeased. And then Barack Obama, because Barack Obama is one of the most graceless people to be in the Oval Office ever. And by the way, we've had a lot of graceless people in the, in the Oval Office. But, but Barack Obama always tried to masquerade as sort of a graceful president. He definitely was not. He was always a radical narcissist. He was selfie stick president. And so he arrives at the White House and he immediately mirrors Joe Biden's own joke. It's one thing for Joe Biden to joke about how Barack Obama is the president and he's the vice president. It's another thing for your former boss to show up and call you his underling. I mean, it's like Billy Batts saying to Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, go get your shine box. I mean, that really is what this is. Here is Barack Obama telling Joe Biden to get a shine box. Thank you. Vice President Biden, Vice President. (laughs) That was a joke. Was it a joke, though? Was it a joke? I mean, basically, he was telling him to get a shine box, right? He's demoting Joe Biden, which is what everyone wishes could happen right now. Everybody wishes that Joe Biden would be demoted. I mean, it's pathetic. So this was their Greg Gambit, is drag out the old president to try to shine up the new president by calling him the vice president genius stuff from the White House press team right here. So then Barack Obama goes on and on and on and on and on because Barack Obama has deep red light syndrome. That man sees a red light and he will jump in front of it. I mean, if he's just walking along a city street and there's a red light, he just starts talking. It's wild. So here he was going on and on about how Joe Biden, thank, thank you for your support, Joe, when you were vice president. Like, I'm sorry, but this makes Joe Biden look so pathetic, which I mean, he is, but if you're in the White House, your job is to make him look not pathetic. And, and granted, that is, that is a difficult thing to do. I mean, that's basically Don Corleone going to Buenos Aires and saying, like, use all of your skills to make this dead person look. Don't let his mother see him like this. <laughs> that's where we are with Joe Biden. Every morning, so every morning, Jill goes into the White House press room and she's like, don't, don't, let, don't let anybody, see, don't let the people see him like this. 
try to make him look lifelike. You, you can't do that by, by trotting Barack Obama out there. It's just bad strategy. Anyway, Barack Obama gets out there and he thanks Biden for his support as VP. It's wonderful to be back to say thank you to all of you. Um, but most of all, coming back here gives me a chance to say thank you and spend some time with an extraordinary friend and partner who was uh, by my side for eight years. And Joe Biden and I did a lot together. Yeah, this is so sad. He's the president of the United States right now, and he's unbelievably bad at his job. And let's say that you got a top-ranking job as a CEO at a company, and you were doing such a bad job. But like eight years before, you'd been working in the mailroom, and your boss at the mailroom had really liked you. So you are now CEO of a multi-billion-dollar company. You're doing a crap job. And so you decide, you know what? I'm going to get that guy who used to be my boss at the mailroom, and he's going to come in, and he's going to talk about what a great guy I was when I was in the mailroom. You think that's going to help? It is not going to help. Then Barack Obama started talking about his own accomplishments, which, of course, is exactly what Joe Biden needs is, is, you know, to hear about Barack Obama's accomplishments. So here we go. We helped save the global economy, made record investments in clean energy. We put guardrails on our financial system. We helped turn the auto industry around. Repeal, don't ask, don't tell. But nothing made me prouder than providing better health care and more protections to millions of people across this country. Is Barack Obama running for president or is he currently the president? I don't think so. And then Obama talked about how the ACA actually didn't go far enough. The Obamacare didn't go far enough, which is weird because he said it was going to fix the system. I was told by Barack Obama that not only was it going to fix the system, if you liked your doctor, you were going to get to keep your doctor. And all of that was a lie. But now he's back to tout his old lies because things are going so badly. You have to bring up the guy who left office in 2017 to talk about all of the shortcomings of his presidency to draw fire away from the shortcomings of the current president of the United States. The reason we're here today is because President Biden, Vice President Harris, everybody who's worked on this thing understood from the start that the ACA wasn't perfect. To get the bill passed, we had to make compromises. We didn't get everything we wanted. That wasn't a reason not to do it. If you can get millions of people health coverage and better protection, it is, to quote a famous American, a pretty big deal. <laughs> He's quoting Joe Biden. Get it, get it, get it, guys. Okay, here is the thing. Barack Obama, one of the reasons his popularity is not transferable is because Barack Obama is all about Barack Obama. He's always been about Barack Obama. According to a transcript of Barack Obama's speech at the White House. And remember, again, he's not the president. He used the words, this is Steve Guest reporting, I, I'm, me, and my, 33 times. 33 times. And that's not a shock. I mean, this guy's written 27 autobiographies already. And each one is 1,000 pages long. Apparently, he used the word I alone 20 times while standing next to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, which is the mark of a really good sport. He shows up and he immediately starts talking about himself. And the media, of course, are beside themselves. They love this. You have Misha Alcindor, who is just the greatest of journalists, Yamiche Alcindor. I mean, what, what a wonderful journalist she is. She is um, the anchor and moderator of Washington Week on PBS and Washington correspondent for NBC News. Here's what she tweeted, quote, President Obama had the room both laughing and captivated as he explained how he risked re-election to get the Affordable Care Act passed. President Biden follows by saying Obamacare was, in his view, the most consequential legislation since the creation of Medicare and Medicaid in 1965. Oh, the journalism. 
journalism. Oh, the hot, sticky journalism just getting everywhere, coating the entire room in journalism. And just incredible stuff there from you, Misha Alcindor, and the rest of the geniuses in the media. Now, is any of this going to save Joe Biden? No, of course not. Because here is the sad truth of Barack Obama coming back to the White House. This is the equivalent of the star quarterback from high school. He is in college now. He's playing for state. They're on touchdowns. He comes back home. He's got a little brother who went into the family business. Family business is being like a mechanic. And here comes the brother back home from college. And all the girls are like, wow, he's great. And the parents are like, oh, we're so proud of Johnny. And here's Bob over here, who's working down at the local mechanic shop and earning minimum wage and sleeping in the basement. That is Joe Biden when Barack Obama comes riding back to town. And that was no more obvious than in this pathetic clip in which Joe Biden literally wanders around a room. He's the president of the United States of America, the most powerful person on planet Earth. And he wanders around a room and he can't find anyone to talk to him. <laughs> there we go. Where is everybody? All right, will you talk to me? No. I'm not. No one cares. I'm, I'm the president. Just I'm here. No. No. Okay. Yeah, man. So this is what Democrats got themselves. They got themselves this eggplant of a human. Well done. And again, all that Barack Obama's presence demonstrated is that when you bring the star in from the wings, all you have done is relegate Joe Biden back to what he always was, which was an insipid dullard who had made his way in politics basically by personality mirroring what he thought the American public wanted. Really well done. Well, meanwhile, the Biden administration, again, Barack Obama left, right? He came and he left yesterday and then he wasn't there anymore. But Barack, but Joe Biden is still there. Okay, this happens to be the major problem. It's not Barack Obama coming. It's that Joe Biden is remaining because he's a really, really bad president. So Jen Psaki was actually asked yesterday if Joe Biden blames anybody on the White House team for his own unpopularity. And here was Jen Psaki's answer. I mean, this should be her answer considering she's running away to MSNBC. On his uh, approval rating, when he came into office last year, he was around 60% and even more. And now he's around 40% and sometimes less. Who does he blame now? Putin, Trump, or you, the communication team? Oh, does he blame me? Oh, I don't know. Um, I hope not. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you all hope not. But, I mean, there's a reason you are leaving for MSNBC. Well, Jen Psaki is headed off to MSNBC. The rest of us are stuck with Joe Biden. And if that puts you in a dark mood, let me put you in a darker mood. You are going to perish at some point in the future. We all will. I know, dark thoughts. But this is why you need life insurance. If somebody relies upon you, you need to make sure that they are covered by your life insurance. Make sure that if, God forbid, something happens to you, your family isn't left with any source of income at all. Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find and buy the insurance you need. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Answer a few questions in minutes. You can compare personalized quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. It could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The team of licensed experts at Policy Genius are on hand throughout the entire process to help you understand your options and make decisions with confidence. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. Whether you're starting to shop or have questions about your active policy, they are your independent advocates offering unbiased advice. Policy Genius does not add on extra fees. They don't sell your information to third parties. Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance, placed over $120 billion in coverage. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get your free life insurance quotes today. See how much you could save. Again, that's policygenius.com slash Shapiro to get started. Meanwhile, there are news stories breaking on Hunter Biden because we're now allowed to talk about Hunter Biden since Joe Biden's already been elected despite being 
not alive. According to the New York Post, a witness who testified before the Hunter Biden grand jury was asked to identify the big guy in the first son's planned deal with the Chinese energy conglomerate as calls ramped up to have President Biden included in a conspiracy probe. The question arose after the witness was shown a piece of evidence while appearing in secret before the panel in Wilmington, Delaware, a source familiar with the proceedings told the Post. A bombshell email exclusively reported by the Post in October 2020 showed that one of Hunter Biden's business partners, James Gilliar, outlined the proposed percentage distribution of equity in a company created for a joint venture with CEFC China Energy Corporation. The March 13th, 2017 plan included, quote, 10 held by H, meaning Hunter, for the big guy, question mark. Another former Hunter Biden partner, U.S. Navy veteran Tony Bobulinski, later revealed the big guy was Hunter's dad, then the Democratic candidate for president, saying, quote, I've heard Joe Biden say he has never discussed his dealings with Hunter. That is false. So now witnesses are being asked to testify before a grand jury who exactly the big guy is. So things are going to get worse for Joe Biden before they get better. By the way, the basic idea that Hunter Biden's financial dealings had no benefit for his father is obviously untrue, considering the fact that we have an actual September 21st, 2012 message to Hunter Biden from Ron Klain, the current White House chief of staff, approaching Hunter Biden in September 2012, while his father was vice president of the United States, for help raising 20 grand for a foundation that looks after the vice president's residence. He told the now first son to, quote, keep it low key to prevent bad PR, according to emails obtained by the New York Post. So that's kind of shocking. According to Klain, quote, the tax lawyers for the VP Residence Foundation have concluded that since the Cheney folks last raised money in 2007 and not 2008, we actually have to have some incoming funds before the end of this fiscal year to remain eligible as a public charity. And then he asked if Hunter could come up with 20 grand. He said, it's not much. We need to raise a total of 20 grand. So I'm hitting up a few very close friends on a very confidential basis to write checks of two grand each. We need to keep this low, low key because raising money for the residents is now bad PR, but it has to be done. So I'm just trying to collect the 10 checks of two grand, get it done in a week, and then we can do an event for the Residence Foundation after the presidential election. Apparently, Hunter Biden then forwarded Klain's email to Eric Schwerwin, a longtime business partner who was managing his finances. A few days later, Hunter Biden emailed Klain, quote, working on it, my partner Eric will be in touch. Thanks, Klain answered. On the same day, according to Fox, Schwerin emailed the younger Biden to say he had talked to Klain, who was checking to see if the foundation would take a check from Owasco. Owasco is Hunter Biden's law firm. It remains unclear whether the law firm contributed to the foundation, but a 990 tax form from that year shows it received 20 grand in contributions just over Klain's ask. So yeah, the, the always tenuous notion that, that Hunter Biden's business activities had no positive impact on his dad remains quite tenuous. Now, meanwhile, the Democrats are staring down the barrel of 2022 disaster. Nancy Pelosi, for her part, she's just trying to whistle or chatter or, or move her dentures past the graveyard. Here she was yesterday talking about how Democrats, we're not going to lose this election. We have no intention of losing this election. Well, then uh, you might want to stop running the country like garbage. Just in case you're wondering, Democrats in the House, Democrats in the Congress have no intention of losing the election in November. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure that's not your intention, but it is uh, going to happen. And the reason it's going to happen is because everything that Joe Biden touches is set on fire. He is like a small child with a book of matches. Everything that he touches is set on fire. Take, for example, the border. So according to Breitbart today, Border Chief Alejandro Mayorkas is directing that economic migrants get every opportunity to stay once the Title 42 barrier is removed, regardless of the huge damage he inflicts on ordinary Americans. Mayorkas' intentions are described in his February strategy, which was leaked to Breitbart, Texas on April 4th. 
The February strategy is titled the DHS Southwest Border Mass Irregular Migration Contingency Plan. It says on page 16, quote, Secretary's intent. The purpose of this plan is to describe a proactive approach that humanely prevents and responds to surges in irregular migration across the U.S. southern border. This will be done while ensuring that migrants can apply for any form of relief or protection for which they may be eligible, including asylum, withholding of removal, and protection from removal under the regulations implementing the United States' obligations under the Convention Against Torture. To maximize benefits for migrants, Mayorkas minimizes the detention and deportation of migrants, even though federal law generally denies the entry of foreign workers and economic migrants into America's homeland. His plan sketches ways for border officials to squeeze many migrants through small doorways in the nation's border. Quote, current pathways to removal will be limited. Component use of broad-scale release mechanisms with issuance of a notice to appear or parole and alternatives to detention with administrative tools are necessary to ensure humane and efficient treatment of migrants. So they're basically limiting the ability to deport anybody in the middle of tens of thousands of illegal immigrants about to descend on our southern border. I mean, even Barack Obama's people are saying this is unsustainable. Former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson said the current border crisis is not sustainable. Well, that's right. So wouldn't you think they might actually, you know, take a look at changing the policy? But no, of course they won't. 7,000 a day is not sustainable in multiple respects. It overwhelms the communities in Texas, Arizona uh, that have to absorb this population. It overwhelms Catholic charities. It overwhelms the Border Patrol mm -hmm. and ICE and their ability to keep up with these numbers. Well, yes. And according to Jay Johnson, everybody in Central America now knows that Title 42 is going away, so you can prepare for this vast wave. The lifting of Title 42, I'm sure that news is circulating right now in, in Central America. If I'd, if I'd had my druthers, and I don't, I would have argued, can we lift this perhaps later in the summer when it gets hotter and the numbers do slow down? We're right now in the peak season. I mean, my goodness, how radical is this, is this administration? Jay Johnson from the Obama administration is saying this is crazy policy. So on the border, they're a full-scale disaster. And then, of course, you have all the other issues on which the White House is a disaster. And the polls are showing that they are a disaster. So I don't care how often you bring Barack Obama back to the White House. It ain't going to make one damn bit of difference. Joe Biden is incredibly bad at this job, and the American people know that he's incredibly bad at this job. Well, as the line at the border grows, it might put you in line of the simple facts, which is that if you go to the auto store right now, you're probably going to have to spend a lot of time in line at that auto parts store. This is why you instead need to go to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. With the ever-increasing numbers of car makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts. You're going to wait in line, you're going to get to the front, some guy behind the counter is going to tell you that you have to order the part online anyway, and then he's going to upcharge you for it. Instead, head on over to rockauto.com. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? rockauto.com won't do that. They're a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to rockauto.com shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts? They've got amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Head on over to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that I sent you. 
So another area where the White House has completely lost the thread, they continue to push puberty blockers for quote unquote trans kids. According to the Washington Free Beacon, the Biden administration promoted the use of puberty blockers for transgender children by citing a study from an LGBT group funded in part by a manufacturer of the controversial drugs used in gender reassignment. In statements commemorating Transgender Day of Visibility, the White House and Department of Health and Human Services cited research from the Trevor Project to support the use of puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and sex reassignment procedures in children seeking to change genders. Two of the Trevor Project's donors, AbV and Allergen, make drugs and medical products used in the medical transition process. The charitable foundations of both companies give at least 50 grand to the Trevor Project, according to review of tax documents and the Trevor Project's website. The Trevor Project does not disclose the funding in its research. So in other words, the Biden administration started stumping on behalf of transgender hormone blockers for children, citing research from a 501c3 that takes donations from the people who actually develop the drugs to be used in precisely these type of hormonal perversions. According to the Washington Free Beacon, the Biden administration's support for gender-affirming care, that is the progressive buzzword for gender transitions, comes as conservatives push to stop the prescription of hormones and puberty blockers to children. The Trevor Project study published in the Journal of Adolescent Health, cited by numerous news outlets, claimed that teenagers with access to drugs and procedures to change genders were less likely to have depression and suicidal thoughts. The organization polled nearly 12,000 transgender and non-binary youth, offering gift cards to some participants. Now, of course, one of the big problems with this is that people tend to self-report that they've done the right thing. Self-reporting surveys like this are not useful, like, at all. They're pretty much useless all the way through. But of course, this administration has embraced the most radical social policies available. And all of their allies are pushing even more radical social policy. So, for example, you have the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation CEO, Sarah Kate Ellis, suggesting to Variety, apparently, quote, don't wait until you are in the hot seat. She says, there's no more time to sit on the sidelines. We need Hollywood on the front lines fighting for our rights and telling our stories. And then this person, this head of GLAAD, again, GLAAD is a Democratic Party-associated 501c3, implored Hollywood to, quote, take meaningful action and will soon convene the biggest brands, agencies, studios, and streamers together with two goals. One, to commit to improving the quantity, quality, and diversity of LGBTQ images, especially in kids and family programming. Especially in kids and family programming. I mean, the... These folks want to radicalize the country incredibly, incredibly fast. And of course, this has bled over into public schools. There's more and more footage now merging of teachers indoctrinating small kids in absolute horrendous sexual orientation and gender identity garbage. So for example, one Kansas teacher was caught on tape talking about how it's necessary to teach kindergartners about LGBTQ plus minus ampersand, percentage sign, star sign, tilde, because there are already kindergartners who are trans, non-binary, etc. No, there are not. There may be kids suffering from gender dysphoria. That may be a thing. There's no such thing as a trans five-year-old or a gay five-year-old. These are non-sexual beings, if you've ever met a child. But here's a Kansas teacher explaining why we need to teach all kindergartners about the vast spectrum that is gender and why boys can be girls and girls can be boys. No problem whatsoever. Again, this is the agenda backed by this White House. And then they wonder why they're unpopular. Here's one Kansas teacher talking about indoctrinating small kids. When they've been exposed to information, they're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it, right? So there is no, you know, what we think is always age appropriate. It is if they don't know about it. If they haven't been exposed to it, then yeah, you can give them time to develop. 
But once they're exposed to it and social media is going to do it, right? I know some kindergartners in this school with cell phones. Mine had a cell phone. And so they, they get access to information. They can, they can learn quickly. The world is teaching them faster than probably you are. I mean, look at that bootstrapped argument right there. So the argument is the social media that we like is being used to indoctrinate kids. And that's a reason for us to indoctrinate the kids even further. And the more of this we can promulgate in society, the more your kids are going to come face to face with it. And the more they come face to face with it, the more we're going to have to answer their question. So if we can generate the question and force it into their site, this also allows us to answer the questions as we see fit. And you, the parents, have nothing to say about it. Because no matter what you think might be too young, it's not too young. According to this Kansas, again, this is not in California, Kansas school teacher. Or take Burlington, Vermont, where one teacher was, was talking about a, with a seventh grader and a seventh grader discussed coming out in fifth grade with the help of the school guidance counselor. Now, fifth graders, that's kids who are like 11 years old, 10, 11 years old, coming out in fifth grade with the help of guidance counselors. And this is the kind of stuff that this White House is promoting. This is what they're promoting. This is why they oppose the Florida Parental Rights and Education Bill. Here is a Burlington, Vermont middle school talking about the indoctrination of small kids. Do you feel like young kids feel seen and supported uh, as much in elementary school as they do in middle and high school? Um, to answer that question, um, so I'm in middle school and I have a younger sibling in fourth grade and not 100% sure what their pronouns are, but I went to the same elementary school and I felt pretty supported and I actually like I came out in fifth grade with the help of my guidance counselor um, and it was they were really supportive. They had a, I think I we had like a whole unit with the guidance counselor just like teaching us about stuff. Don't worry, there's no indoctrination of children. Here's a seventh grader talking about how coming out in fifth grade with the help of the guidance counselor. And also I have a fourth grade sibling who doesn't know what her pronouns are really well done. Everyone, by the way, this is the same Burlington, Vermont school district that hosted a webinar in February of 2022 titled Let's Talk About Gender Identity and Expression, in which they used what they call the gender unicorn to teach middle school students. Here's a little bit of the tape. The blue is representing the gender identity. The green, we're talking about gender expression, sex assigned at birth, physically attracted to, emotionally attracted to. Um, there's a whole series on the gender unicorn and lessons that can be used to, to go over it. Um, I have used, I learned about it in a training I went to this fall and two years ago I was in it as well. Um, this is a fabulous tool, especially for visual learners, right? For visual learners. I am a huge visual person. I don't do well with stand and lecture. Give me pictures, please. So they're teaching young kids using a cartoon unicorn about why they can be members of the opposite sex. This is the stuff that this White House is supporting. And then they wonder why it's not working if they bring in Barack Obama to say a few weird words about Joe Biden and make him look absolutely irrelevant. Meanwhile, by the way, on crime, things continue to be really bad. So there's a story out of Sacramento that really is quite horrific, all about this Sacramento shooting that happened over the weekend. It turns out that the Sacramento shooter who was involved in, in the killing of six people. 12 people were hurt in this mass shooting. Apparently, this person had a criminal history, of course, of course, and was let out of prison for no apparent reason. According to KCRA.com, Sacramento police have arrested a 26-year-old man in connection with Sunday's deadly mass shooting, the city's police chief confirmed. 
The shooter was taken into custody, booked on charges of assault with a firearm, being a prohibited person in possession of a firearm. Apparently, this, uh, the, the person who was arrested had a long criminal history. This person was wanted in Riverside County since 2015. Jail records show he has an outstanding warrant for a misdemeanor domestic violence charge. According to court documents, this shooter, the alleged shooter, inflicted bodily injury resulting in a traumatic condition to his spouse. This person also violated two terms of probation. A bench warrant was issued in 2015. This person was released from an Arizona prison in 2020 after serving a year and a half for violating probation on a separate felony conviction. And uh, now he's engaged in multiple murder, allegedly. So really well done on the criminal justice reform pushed by the left. It's really, really solid stuff. And democratic cities continue to be overrun by crime. In fact, local news have been talking to people living in these cities, and, and the testimony is pretty ridiculous. Here's one San Francisco business owner telling the local NBC affiliate about the problems with drug crime in the city of San Francisco. Open-air drug market is also creating problems for business owners. Adam Mesnick owns Deli Board on Folsom Street and worries about the safety of his employees and customers. Any which way that they have to arrive at my deli at this point in time is dangerous for them. Uh, the, the, you know, the drug dealing is absolutely out of control and unchecked. He says this video he shot just yesterday is proof of the pervasive drug problem. He says a man apparently overdosed on the street and a good Samaritan jumped in to help him. The man survived. Things are going beautifully in a wide variety of Democratic governed areas. According to Fox News, Seattle's crime surge spreads statewide thanks to Democrats' progressive policies. Thanks to a Democratic legislature that codified the radical defund police proposals into law, plus light on crime judges, the crime surge hitting Seattle is spreading across the state. There's no sign the crime explosion will slow. In fact, it is getting worse. Seattle has averaged more than one homicide a week so far this year. Gun violence has nearly doubled. 95% more shots fired. 171% increase in gunshot victims compared to last year. Drug dealing is rampant. Homeless shoplifters are destroying local businesses. Random brutal assaults are common. In nearby Tacoma, the homicide rate is just as bad as it is in Seattle. Meanwhile, car theft in Bellingham is up over 300%. On the east side of the state, Spokane is experiencing similar problems with a 90% spike in car thefts. This is all according to our friend Jason Rands over at KTTH in Seattle. And this, this sort of stuff is, is not a shock. Again, when you embrace policies that are precisely the opposite of shutting down crime, you get more crime. When you embrace policies that pervert the minds of children, you get more kids who are confused and disturbed. And when you embrace policies that lead to border surges, you get border surges. And when you embrace inflationary policy, you get inflation. I mean, all of this is perfectly predictable. But Democrats continue to embrace it. And then they wonder why it is that Joe Biden is completely failing. Again, bringing out the celeb class is not going to help them. It's only going to hurt them. It makes them look more and more out of touch, honestly. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to Elon Musk being added to the board of Twitter and what sort of a difference that's going to make. First, our store over at dailywire.com slash shop is constantly expanding with new collections from yours truly, Matt Walsh, even the execrable Michael Knowles. My shop collection has some great new items like the facts button. It plays some of my best lines and impressions at the touch of a button, literally. So order that button to hear me say on repeat that facts don't care about your feelings and check out some of the other amazing stuff we have in the store. We've got great stuff happening all the time over at the Daily Wire merch shop. We're adding new products on a regular basis. Go to dailywire.com slash shop today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Well, as it turns out, the only way that the left can fight back against this is, of course, to crack down on free speech, right? If the Hunter Biden story is bad, then you just prevent it from being disseminated. 
at the time that it is important. And one of the areas where social media have done the most work is on Twitter. Right? On Twitter, they've banned accounts like that of the Babylon Bee. Well, now they're running up against the brutality of reality because Elon Musk has bought 9.2% of Twitter. And Twitter announced on Tuesday that he has now been appointed to its board of directors. The move comes one day after Musk purchased a 9.2% stake, about 73.5 million shares worth $2.9 billion on Monday. This made him Twitter's largest shareholder, according to Mediaite. According to an SEC report, quote, for so long as Mr. Musk is serving on the board and for 90 days thereafter, Mr. Musk will not, either alone or as a member of the group, become the beneficial owner of more than 14.9% of the company's common stock outstanding at such time. Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal, who is the heir to Jack Dorsey, tweeted, quote, I'm excited to share we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it became clear to us he would bring great value to our board. He's both a passionate believer and intense critic of the service, which is exactly what we need on Twitter and in the boardroom to make us stronger in the long term. Welcome, Elon. Musk tweeted, quote, looking forward to working with Parag and Twitter board to make significant improvements to Twitter in coming months. So naturally, the left is just livid about all of this because, again, God forbid somebody like Elon Musk should buy into Twitter and then broaden the amount of speech on the platform. So the the geniuses over at The View, the intellectual heavyweights over at The View, they were very, very angry at Elon Musk for buying into Twitter. Here's what they had to say. All you have to do is you got enough dough to put a, a, a Tesla group out there that can come and rescue women with children, yeah. older people who we'll decided to get yeah. uh-huh. No, not me. Yeah. No, but you because too. I can, listen, I can Manny put my Austin. thumb out yeah. and somebody will pick me up. Yeah. Don't do that. I, I, that, I, 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 I will say Manny was on the way to the hospital to see patients. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's well, I had to, I had you to help do it. But yeah. the reason uh, they're telling me in my ear, the reason we're discussing this is because Elon Musk, with all his dollars, just you know, became a board member That's what I just said. Literally, you got a lot of money. He's got a lot of money, guys. So why is he spending it on things like Twitter? I mean, only the ladies at The View should have a broad platform to promulgate their viewpoints. Timothy O'Brien has a similar piece over in Bloomberg. It is fun to watch people at Bloomberg, which is owned by Michael Bloomberg. So, you know, oligarchy. Writing in the pages of the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, you know, so oligarchy, complaining that there might be too much oligarchy if Elon Musk buys into Twitter. According to Timothy O'Brien, quote, Elon Musk just bought a $3 billion stake in Twitter because when you're the world's richest human, you can toss billions around like poker chips. This may just be another piece of performance art from Musk, who has alternatively endorsed and poo-pooed Bitcoin to great effect. He's also taken to Twitter to hype altcoins like Dogecoin and Shiba Inu while simultaneously warning followers don't bet the farm on crypto. So maybe we should take Musk's Twitter investment as more of the same from a guy who's pondered the meaning of life while sipping whiskey and smoking weed during a podcast and once mysteriously claimed he had funding secured to take a Tesla private. But I suspect there's something even more serious informing Musk's decision to invest in Twitter, even if he revels in buffoonery. Maybe he wants to bring Twitter to heel. Oh, no, you wouldn't want Elon Musk actually opening up the discourse on Twitter. That'd be really bad. Consider the poll he conducted on Twitter 10 days ago. Free speech is essential to a functioning democracy, it says. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? More than 2 million voters responded to that question. 70.4% of them voted no. A day later, Musk, who fashions himself a free speech absolutist, was on the social media platform again. Quote, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? All this follows Musk's ongoing battle with the SEC, which has been monitoring his Twitter posts for very good reason. They move markets. Musk maintained in a court filing the SEC's oversight seems calculated to chill his exercise of free speech. So apparently Musk feels aggrieved. What is not clear is why Twitter is his target. 
One explanation for Musk's sensitivity might be found in his libertarian leanings. Oh man, this would be really bad. I mean, if Twitter started adhering to like basic free speech principles, wouldn't that be terrible, says this columnist for Bloomberg? Related efforts by social media platforms to constrain some of the most virulent forms of political propaganda have raised the hackles of that crowd, along with far-rightists and Trumpistas. Now Musk has at least fired a shot across Twitter's bow by purchasing 9.2% of its stock. Does, uh, does Musk want to take over Twitter? I don't think so. The company's financials aren't great. Running social media companies is hard. Does Musk want to name some people to Twitter's board of directors? Maybe. That's worrisome because it's not ideal to have a free speech absolutist who isn't absolutely in favor of free speech at the helm of a media company. Man, somebody should probably tell Jack Dorsey about that. Musk has already received a nice pop on his Twitter stake, of course, but Musk probably isn't in this for the money. He's in it to make a point and he's in it to scare Twitter's management. So people on the left very, very upset about Elon Musk buying into Twitter because God forbid there should be a broader discourse. They want a narrower discourse. By the way, it is worth noting at this point that the Securities and Exchange Commission is spending an awful lot of time investigating Elon Musk. And either you can see that as them targeting just you know, an investment bad boy, or is it possible they don't like Musk's point of view? Because I've never seen them target anybody remotely this way. According to the Wall Street Journal, Elon Musk has set the stage for a new fight with the SEC, this time over how he disclosed his investment in Twitter that has made him the company's largest investor. The Tesla chief executive disclosed those holdings in a form investors are required to file when they buy more than 5% of a company's stock without planning to seek control. But the notice came several days late. It also didn't include a standard certification that underscores an investor's passive status. Musk didn't respond to a request for comments on his filing. So now, apparently, the, the SEC is investigating him over this. They're already investigating him, by the way, over other investments, including a fraud settlement, he reached with securities regulators in 2018, which required some of his Tesla-related tweets to be pre-approved by company lawyers. He said they were violating his freedom of speech. Okay, but the, the bottom line is this. You know, Elon Musk, the reason that he is scaring everybody right now on the left is that if the channels of free speech are reopened and social media is not, in fact, made the great fire hose of information directed at promoting left, left-wing propaganda alone, that is a real problem for the Democrats. I mean, they're suffering that Americans know too much about what they're doing now. Wait until social media actually become somewhat more open to the dissemination of, of accurate information. And meanwhile, the latest in Ukraine, according to the Wall Street Journal, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky told the UN Security Council Russia should be removed from the council or it should otherwise be dissolved after warning that newly uncovered atrocities followed in the withdrawal of Russian forces near Kiev could be worse than those in the city of Bukha. Zelensky said during a virtual appearance at the council's chamber on Tuesday, quote, it is difficult to find a war crime the occupiers have not committed. He previously said more than 300 civilians had been tortured or killed in Bukha. Zelensky said civilians were, quote, crushed by tanks and civilian cars in the middle of the road for fun. He said they were raped and killed in front of their own children. So first of all, the UN Security Council is a joke. It's been a joke for a very, very long time. I mean, after, after all, Russia and China are on it. The Security Council hasn't taken action because, of course, Russia is already on the Security Council. Zelensky told the council Russia should be stripped of its seat to remove, quote, a source of war from blocking decisions about its own aggression. The problem is that the council's permanent membership is set in the UN Charter, so it'd be almost impossible for that to happen. But this does underscore just how useless the UN is at this point in time. And Zelensky, of course, is not wrong in pointing out that the UN is a trash organization that promotes trash countries to trash positions where they cover their own trash. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, for her part, she said that there would be no changes to the Security Council. 
Apparently, the U.S. and the EU have said that they're going to assist the Ukrainians in investigating human rights violations. But the truth is, at this point, there is not much left to do. And they're talking about various forms of sanctions. But aside from providing the Ukrainians more military aid, basically, the West has shot its wad at this point. They really have no more. But what are they going to do? Issue more sanctions on Russia's already flailing economy? Seems like it's going to be very difficult, especially given the fact that, for example, Germany is completely dependent on Russian energy at this point. Last year, Russia supplied more than half of all natural gas and about a third of all the oil Germany burned in its homes. So how long can they go while continuing to, to heat their homes along these lines? All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out our latest episode of Morning Wire. Today's episode is available right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our production manager is Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Bradford Carrington. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire editor-in-chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Hunter Biden investigation heats up. Economists say the U.S. faces a perfect storm of problems. And Ukraine's president accuses Russia of war crimes. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 